So David, you you take a boat, oh. you go into international borders, <laughs> and you just do what the hell you want, and so they can't come after you. And because it's on the blockchain, no one can stop them from playing. So, oh, you know, I'm a land lover. I don't don't like that idea. <laughs> <laughs> just get an oil rig. <laughs> Hello, dear listener, and welcome to the 28th Roundtable episode of the Metacast. My name is Nico, I'm your host today, and I'm joined by Florian, David, and CA, and that's Florian Ziegler, David Amor, and Chong An. Uh, in today's episode, we're first discussing the rise of blockchain gaming funds. You might have heard of a, a couple of uh, $100 million raises of funds specifically designed to invest in blockchain games on specific blockchains. Next, we're discussing Rec Room that raised $145 million at a $3.5 billion valuation. And then finally, we're discussing Amazon Prime that partners with Blanco's block party for um, NFTs. And then at the end, we're doing a, a bonus segment. Uh, and the question is, what topic will dominate the gaming industry in the next year? Um, there's a few topics that come to mind that were quite dominant this year. Um, just curious to see if that will change or at least what our panelists think of that. And... Um, I believe it is correct to say Merry Christmas because now we're recording this on the 22nd and this goes live the 24th. So, I mean, if you're listening to this on the 24th, huge respect. Uh, that's 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 good dedication. You know, that means you're you're like really into games and stuff. So, uh, I like it. Uh, I respect it. And then otherwise, I uh, hope you had a great time. And uh, yeah. So, uh, how are you guys doing? So, Florian, you're in a special place. Maybe you can uh, you can give a little explanation why your uh, my qualities is a bit subpar. Oh, that's simply because I'm at my parents' place, you know, like like any respectable German would for Christmas. <laughs> um, you know, to uh, to to get fattened up. So uh, nice. I have a big box of uh, Plätzchen, which is a German Christmas cookies. It's actually a very nice tradition where every family has their own that they make, and then you go to neighbors and bring them to them, and then they give you some of theirs. And the end, you end up with all the neighborhoods biggest best cookies nice and then there's like a, a competition between families of who can make the best cookies or? no we're not very competitive people we're just like sure. everyone's everyone's cookies are welcome sure all right yeah cool all right um david how, how are you doing man yeah good i don't think i've got anything as wholesome to say as florian there no cookies are being made it's i guess what is it now it's wednesday 22nd so it's, <laughs> I, I think signing off this will be my last piece of work not really work is it but uh, you know last thing i do professionally before christmas so that feels good just gotta know go and wrap some presents and put them under the tree festive things nice really fun and how about uca i think yeah it's been a while huh? and, and this might be like me you know being in the twitter or like the, the crypto space where time goes like 10 times as fast as, as normal life but uh it, sound, it feels like it was a while yeah it does feel like it's been a little bit of time um yeah but it's good to be back um uh, i'm happy to you know have this conversation with uh, with you guys. It's always fun, um, but I'm I'm very similar to David as well. This is uh, this is going to be my last professional thing, fun thing I do before I really sign off. And I've I've, I've made promises to family that I will really sign off, <laughs> disconnect from the world. We'll see if I can hold that promise this year. Um, but yeah, it's been it's been a it's been a fun wild ride. Um, and as you guys, I'm sure are similar situations. The last uh, week of uh, before everyone, you know, disappears for a little bit is always hectic. Uh, but I'm I'm looking forward to the break. Yeah, well deserved. Cool. Um, and so, I mean, as you guys are trying to sign off for at least this, like, the next week. Um, so I'm down to try and record next week as well. Um, but I'm just gonna f need to find people that want to do it with me. So I cannot promise <laughs> that there's gonna be an episode next Friday. Um, but I'll try. And I don't know. Maybe it's gonna be a one-on-one -on -one conversation with someone. I don't know. Um, but at least like I'm down to record in, the, in, in those few days. Um, all right, let's dive into things. Um, I, I, I was trying to like find a Christmas related topic that we could discuss here, but I couldn't find anything. So it's gonna be uh, the other thing <laughs> that I really like, which is blockchain and games. So um, yeah, let's, let's <laughs> dive into the first one. So the rise of blockchain gaming funds. If you've been um, paying attention to you know, the funding in the space over the past, uh, weeks and months, you've seen that there's quite a lot of dedicated blockchain gaming funds that were raised. And so the last one was last week, 
uh, or maybe even this week, is Solana Ventures, Forte, and Griffin Gaming Partners announced that they will invest $150 million in blockchain games. A few weeks earlier, Solana Ventures again announced a $100 million fund in collaboration with... Um, Actually, I don't have that here, so I don't remember exactly who that is. Um, but apart from that, we had Binance Smart Chain and Animoca, who have a $200 million fund, and Gala Games and C-Squared Ventures with a $100 million fund. And so basically there's a bunch of uh, like, yeah, specific dedicated gaming funds, um, and I thought it'd be interesting to talk about those, like what the rationale is, um, why this is happening, and what we can expect for the future. And I mean, while I was saying all these things, you guys can't see this, but CA was laughing. So uh, I'm very curious to 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 kick this off with him and have his thoughts. Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, I, I'm just I'm just smiling just because. I mean, this is just some amazing amount of funds that are just floating around in the space, right? And in such a short amount of time. I mean, I don't have the uh, the empirical data in front of me, um, but I think in 2021 alone. Uh, the amount of funding that has gone into the blockchain crypto space is at an all-time high um, and at a scale and, you know, a velocity uh, that I think we have not seen in, 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 I think, in a very long time or in forever. Uh, so I think that's just incredible. And just to cap off with the things that you had mentioned with all these other funds, it's just, there's like just no slowdown, right? So I'm just mm -hmm. smiling in the, in the sense that what an amazing time to be a developer or a creator, right? Like if you have ideas and you have a point of view, particularly within blockchain and blockchain gaming, uh, I mean, what a great time to be in the space, right? Because mm -hmm. you have a plethora of different, really well-capitalized studios that are you know, setting up these immense gaming funds that you can then potentially go and you know, uh, you know, take, a, take a piece of that, right? And so that's kind of like the reason why I'm smiling, uh, because, you know, I, just personally for me as a professional, uh, and, and I'm sure some of you guys as well, right, probably had, you know, ideas of developing your own studio and where do I go get my funding and who has it? I mean, I mean, it's a very different landscape at this point. Um, so I'm very, you know, happy uh, from that perspective for, you know, people that are just coming into the space, but also just from the perspective of what all of these different studios are trying to accomplish with the funds that they're raising, you know, I think it's their way of, you know, signaling that, hey, come work with us, right? Because we have this massive amount of fund. Um, and the way that they're going about doing it, who they're partnering with, I think also indicates, you know, some uh, a stance that they're taking, right? Because uh, uh, I think, you know, in, in, in prior, I think, uh, Metacast, as well as within the newsletter, there's been topics about this that have been brought up. But, you know, the idea around like this, this uh, the end goal, which is, you know, pure composability, interoperability, everything working within any chain. If that's the ultimate end goal, right, we have to somehow take the steps to get there. And so a lot of these studios are creating the funding and the ecosystems, you know, small, probably insular to some degree. First, prove it all out, and then eventually we'll get to that place. And they need a war chest in order to do that. So I think it's just fascinating uh, with the amount of funding that's been, you know, thrown around. Um, and we'll see what comes out of it. But yeah. That's just that's my little rant right there, I guess, <laughs> in a very bullish fashion. And a mythical, do mythical have one of these funds? I forget. See, you work for mythical. Is that something you're doing as well? Uh, no, we don't have a we don't have a fund presently. Um, you know, we we've raised uh, you know for mythical. We've you know, yeah did, did sure. our Series C, um, but we don't have a fund presently. Um, but you know, who knows? Who knows how things will change in the new year. <laughs> You heard it here Ooh, first. Hang on. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, I've, I've been making gains 31 years. I've never known an investment uh, time like it. Yeah. Into, into, I mean, project financing, equity financing, token financing, over the course of time, this is seems to be the easiest. This seems to be the time when there's most amount of money going into the games industry at this level, sort of startup seed, seed level. So it's a pretty incredible time, as you say. So these funds as well... Are they maybe Nico knows? Are these equity funds? I do give away a piece of your company in exchange for money from these funds, or are they grants to encourage you to use their chain? It's a good question. I, I don't know by heart. I think um, there might be like both types of funds, uh, but I feel like yeah. um, 
I don't know, as they're called funds, and, and I didn't see anything specified about grants. I think most of them are, are like equity deals or perhaps even token investments. I think the I think the some of, le- of them at least are grants. So yeah. I think may, maybe a model that people are using is in an effort to try and establish themselves as a de facto chain, then they will invest, you know, let's say 20, 30% of a game dev budget in order to persuade them to use, to, to use that yeah. chain. And so I think it is, I mean, it comes at a cost because you're using a chain that you might not have done otherwise, but I don't think a lot, I think a lot of those $100 million funds are set aside for investments in persuading people to use a chain. Uh, Florian's nodding ahead. Is that your understanding, Florian? Yeah. I mean, like, just because I, I, uh, I happen to know, and this is obviously specific to the people I've been talking to, some studios where they're like, hey, you know, if you guys are using our chain, here is some money. Um, I think they still called it an investment, but it's not like they got any real stake in the company or anything. Um, particularly if you start and you obviously benefit yeah. from these games makers putting out cool stuff. So it's kind of almost marketing money if you um, if you phrase it that way. I was speaking to uh, a game developer mm-hmm. a couple of months ago. I'll be careful what I say here, but uh, he told me the chain he was using. I said, "Oh, that's an interesting choice. Why are you using that chain?" And he said, "Oh, because they gave us two million dollars." I said, oh, okay, well, that's a good reason. Okay, I understand why you made that choice now. Yeah. I was saying that this is kind of my main worry with this. Uh, and as I said, uh, say it's a great place to be uh, as a games maker right now because like, it's so easy to get funding. Um, but at the same time, <laughs> so I advise, advise quite a few uh, you know, budding kind of blockchain game studios. And um, let's just say the money that's been thrown around is not exactly smart money in the sense that you know normally when you were say you say you wanted to make let's go 10 years back you want to make a mobile free-to-play game it's insanely hard to get funding because you know everyone wants to see data they want to see kpi they want to see profits before they even move a finger so a lot of these uh, kind of investments they don't want to see nothing just go like oh you're a bunch of goods somewhere you have a white paper and you have a concept artist that looks really good um here's a few million dollars um and i what i kind of worry a bit is that um this this Rain will, will be great for people to make games, but um, at the same time, I think we'll see a lot of them not making it anywhere at all. Because um, a lot of them are like rookie game studios that don't have actually a track record experience. So I'm sort of segueing into another topic already. <laughs> but, um, you know, it, it, I find it really worrying from an investment perspective that there's basically no due diligence on any of these. Uh, it just rains everywhere. And as a developer, that's great. Um, but at the same time, I feel that a lot of these games are not actually investigated for their merit as a game, as opposed to just some chain hype. Mm-hmm. It's a really good topic. Let's put that on hold for a second. Try to like finish this one. Sorry, I'm interrupting your your train of thought, uh, Florian. But um, I, I actually really like to talk about this because it's something I'm uh, thinking about a lot as well. Um, and 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 yeah. So I was just gonna say that I feel. Um, it could be, you were saying, David, you think many of these are grants. And so I assumed, so I'm just looking at the most recent race, right? You have like Solana Ventures, Forte. Um, Forte is like a kind of infrastructure provider, uh, like over blockchains um, that helps games companies, you know, integrate blockchain into their games. And then you have Griffin Gaming Partners. That's like a traditional VC um, in, in into the game space. Um, I assumed that this was like a, a thirty, well, like one third split for everyone, but it could be that the money is actually mainly coming from Solana, and that Griffin is actually just the one who's helping select the companies or the projects that get invested in, or some in like where their stake is actually smaller. But like I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know how that's configured. Um, I think there is. I worry a little bit that if you're a new game studio right now. Uh, then I think it's it's hard to get investment unless you're... Well, no, I don't know if this is true. It's certainly easier to get investment if you include the terms blockchain and NFTs in your pitch deck. But then there's another question is, what proportion of people really understand what that means and really understand why that's important? How much of them really believe it? Or how much of them are just putting it on slide six because that's what people want to see right now? And, and I worry uh, that if people aren't really understanding that, then sure, they're taking some money and getting started, but maybe going off in the wrong direction. I don't know. Um, maybe there's, it's important, maybe that uh, process, that DD is important to make sure that the money is being spent wisely in, in, in a way that those uh, people investing would like to see. Mm-hmm. 
I don't know if the lack of due diligence is necessarily a good thing for anyone. Mm. 100%. Yeah, I mean, I think I think what's really interesting is if you take a look at um, the earlier days of blockchain, um, let's say when, you know, um, you know, you know, like Wax and EOS IO, you know, is really at the forefront. Um, I think at that time they were doing something very similar. This is years ago, right? Where, you know, they were trying to attract uh, talented developers and content creators onto their platform because their motivation is to scale that platform to get, you know, new content and, you know, drive scale. And so fast forward to today, I mean, even the the first investment or fund rather that you discussed, right, the Solana Ventures one, um, there's a lot more chains out there, right? There's a lot more players that have a platform play that need content creators, developers to leverage their platform to prove out the tech. And so it makes sense that they have all these funds that are being developed because they need to attract these people in, right? So that's one aspect of it. I think for others, like in this instance, like whether it's Griffin Gaming or Forte, that partnership also makes sense because like for Forte, they're trying to be, you know, a, a you know, chain agnostic, you know, platform provider. And I'm pretty sure this isn't the first fund that they've done from my recollection. You know, they've done it, I think, multiple times over. So I can see what their strategy is starting to shape up to be like. Mm -hmm. So ultimately, the way that I see it, at least from a, I guess, from a professional perspective, from a blockchain perspective is everyone is trying to figure out, you know, how to conquer or at least have a really strong point of view within the area that they're operating within, try to prove out the business case there, and then need the funds in order to do that, whether it's, you know, actual grants, which again, looking back at history, a lot of these funds have been grants or you know, whether there's some type of investment vehicle, we'll have to see. But it's really, in my opinion, the, the attraction to get people to commit to a particular set of technologies because that will have ramifications you know, long-term, right? This isn't a thing where you jump in and say, hey, I'm gonna use you know, Binance, I'm gonna use Solana, I'm gonna use these. Well, once you make these decisions, well, you're, you're pretty pot committed at that point, at least for a year or two. And so it's almost like they're locking them up, saying, use our technologies, we will provide you support, lock them up for a year or two, or whatever the turnaround time might be for the game that they might be developing, which I think, you know, strategically makes a lot of sense, right? So that's why I think there's a lot of this, these funds coming around. And then there's the ones that are in between that are much more, I would say, like game focused. Right. They're saying, hey, like, hey, let's go build, you know, these funds, like probably like the Gala Games one. You know, they they've created a fund and they're seeking, right, developers that have a similar, I think, point of view to them and you know, trying to build out their portfolios. So like I think depending on which aspect of the ecosystem you're looking to get into, um, these funds all start making a lot of sense. Uh, because yeah, at this point it's still we don't know who's going to win. It's not, at least in my opinion, a one winner takes all market. And so like, why not spread around the funding to see where we're going to get the hits from, if that makes sense. Yeah, I think um, in, in choosing a chain, I think there's a couple of things that you probably, a couple of criteria. One is if it's where the audience is, and right now, well, a lot of audience are on Ethereum or new Ethereum on a layer two. The other one is just how mature is it? How many people are using that chain already? And both of those things can be solved somewhat by encouraging people to build on those chains. So brings people, and both in terms of players, and also brings um, developers that are making that more mature, making it a safe place to land, getting rid of the bugs, all those. So I think it's a great investment if you're Solana that's trying to encourage that to be the a de facto chain. Then it's just a great way of getting a load of people on that and making it a more mature platform. Mm-hmm. And I think an extra reason for why these investments make so much sense and why else it's also so important to get a lot of people building on your blockchain is our whole story about composability, right? Mm. I had a I had a talk with a developer earlier today that's um, looking at a new roll-up technology. Uh, he's looking at Starknet and he's like, actually, like we're looking to make the first marketplace um, on Starknet. And like he told me that it's actually fairly trivial to build that just because it's already been built on other, you know, chains. And so the it's 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 not a copy-paste, obviously, because it's actually like a new programming language. So instead of Solidity, you'd use Cairo. Um, but it's, 
you know, the pieces are there, the Lego blocks are there, the fundamentals are there, and um, it's not that hard to 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 work, um, to work it out and, and to make it work. Um, yeah. And so I guess, um, yeah. And on top of this, so this is one of the things. Like, if 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 you're you're young and um, I know, in, in ex like, once you're wor when you're working, uh, it seems like it's very hard to to have money, but once you start investing money, you actually realize that money is actually not that hard to find, but finding ways to make more money and finding people who can actually productively put money to use, those are way more um, hard to find and way more scarce. Um, and so I had the feeling like a month ago that there was too, way too much capital chasing, you know, very few quality game developers. And so <laughs> when I see these funds, I'm like, okay, it's it's not over yet, right? Because I mean, they're huge, right? We're talking billions. Um, and so... Um, very curious, and and I think on average that actually reduces the quality of the games that are being made, right? Because uh, like the good teams get funded, and then then there's a, like a kind of trickle down effect where the good teams are fully funded, and then there's you know the, the B tier teams uh, will also find funding and, and so on. Um, curious to to see how that will uh, what that will bring, but in the end, I mean, uh, th there can be like crazy new and innovative game concepts coming out of um, of B tier like game makers, right? It's uh, I think it's something. Um that I think about, um, but by way of example, um, I don't know, 10, 15 years ago, I was running a console company, making console games, Xbox, PlayStation, and Microsoft encouraged us to, to make some Kinect games. They paid us really well, and we were working straight out of Redmond, um, you know, with a team there, a great bunch of guys. And uh, they uh, and it was a good project, happy to get on with it, paid for every, you know, made some money. But it's... Um, sent off us off as a company in the wrong direction. Ultimately, Connect was not a successful uh, piece of technology. I think even at the time, we weren't confident that it was going to be. And so, sure, you know, we, we paid ourselves well for a couple of years. But then two years later, we found ourselves in a place where we, hang on, we're in the middle of nowhere here. We're experts in a technology that nobody cares about. Uh, and I think that they, you can be a bit too... I'm not saying that, obviously that's not the case with all these chains, but you can find yourself becoming a master of technology and, uh, that, that ends up being irrelevant, and then you've got to somehow reverse your company and find your way again. So I think it's it's not free money in that sense. I think you have to be really careful. But, but David, wouldn't you say that in this case, um, to the end user, does that technology really matter? I mean, if you find yourself in the wrong chain, and by wrong I mean like one of the lesser used ones in five years or whatever, as a consumer, yeah. will you even notice any of that? Yes, because and it depends on the game. But I think if if an important part of your game is trading with other players on in a uh, public marketplaces, then you know, for instance, the game that we're working on is very very aligned to Ethereum blockchain. So therefore, it would be suicide for us to build on a on a game on on a, a chain that was a long way from or required a lot of bridging in order to get to Ethereum. So, And the players would certainly notice there'd be all sorts of UX problems. So, you know, in our case, the wrong chain is really important to the player, or the right chain, if you see what I mean. But of course, it, I would say the people playing NBA Top Shot don't care that it's on a centralized chain that's hard to, uh, where you can't take your assets to OpenSea. That turns out that's not a game where that's important. So it probably depends on the game you're making. Mm-hmm. I am. I'd, I'd like to tie into a comment that the CA made earlier. Um, it feels like you know our whole dream of interoperability between games might actually like this might actually um, come true within these closed ecosystems, right? That all companies that are funded by you know Solana Ventures and Forte and Griffin Gaming um, actually have way more incentives to try and find a way to have their assets interoperate. Um, than you would between just random games that are in not any way connected. And so my question is, um, is there a world where we'll have different metaverses, like each building on top of different blockchains um, around these kind of ecosystem funds um, with like very user unfriendly bridges in between um and where like people will you know live in one of them and and spend have all their friends in one of them um how do you see that evolve what do you think Sia? yeah this is a this is a topic that's like really fascinating to me and i've been you know like looking into it for quite some time now because uh, it's i think it's one of the biggest potentials of what blockchain brings to the space um but in practicality and i think sequence wise um, I think what you said is, you know, if I was a betting man, that's where I would go. You know, I think, you know, you're going to see 
um, I don't want to call them private because it has that has loaded connotation when we talk about blockchain. <laughs> uh, but I think it'll illustrate my point. Um, but you know, various studios will have you know their you know their proprietary ecosystem of games within their portfolio, and then from there, I feel. The ideas around interoperability, uh, the ideas around composability—I think all of that will come out, but in a microcosm, right? And I think once that starts happening, and you know, there will be a lot of this happening in parallel in multiple places. I think once you know the, the the developers start figuring out, hey, this is a possibility, and I'm not just talking about like taking assets from, let's say, you know, the mythical ecosystem, and then you know taking them out to you know OpenSea and being able to trade. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about like true, you know, building blocks of composability with interoperability between products. I think that's going to happen within a closed ecosystem first. Um, you know, or you know, like a relatively smaller one, not not interconnected to everywhere, but that's going to happen in a lot of different places. And as that starts rising, and we start seeing value from both a user's perspective, but also from a business perspective, I think then there will be either concerted efforts between multiple publisher types, right, in this new Web three to work together, or you're going to probably find. Um, you know, middleware solution providers, you know, bridgers, what have you. I'm sure there's going to be a lot of new technologies that we haven't seen yet. Well, they will offer that level of connectivity to build the blockchain highway between all these different ecosystems. So I think that's still, you know, many years out. But the fact that there's a bunch of people talking and thinking about those things and there's a desire for that, um, I think it's gonna, I think it's going to happen. So I actually, uh, I want to counterpoint that. <laughs> yeah, please. And the, the reason for that is, you know, we talk a lot about blockchain and, and games and stuff from a business or from a tech perspective. And both business and tech, when you actually look at it from the, from the viewpoint of someone who has to create the experience in these places, it's actually an incredible man. I want, I want, if you put yourself in a game designer's shoes and you're creating, say, I don't know, on the Savannah chain, you're creating uh, this RPG, right? <laughs> And then they go like, oh, we want all these other assets that you get in all these other games to be working in your game and have meaningful or like these building blocks. I lose so much control over actually creating a pleasant, cool, awesome, tight experience for you because I have to accommodate for an increasing ever amount of unknowns that can be injected in this, in this experience that I'm trying to craft for you. And I think this is sort of an aspect that's, that's often casually... Uh, you know, overlooked because, you know, a lot of people in a space who love talking about it are the people who see the business opportunities or who's, who see the, the technical model that they're creating. Um, but for, uh, you know, lack of a better word, as a creative, this is actually a nightmare. Not to even speak about the economy design side where, um, you know, I, I actually think uh, we will see a return to the world and you will have to pay very dearly for the privilege of having interoperability. Where actually one Solana studio will continue to come to another Solana studio and go like, hey, cool, we actually want this to make sense over here. And you guys are like, well, if you give us X amount of money, we might do it. Uh, but it's not going to go just for free as you like. That's just my my. Decision. I I disagree. I think that um, I think that the motivation to have interoperability between games is going to be strong enough that it's worth the game design headache. And, and I think it'll be permissionless. I don't think it'll be any sort of agreement between one game company and another. That's one of the great things about uh, a blockchain Web3 is it's permissionless. So I just, I see your asset over there and I'm going to interpret it in this way in our game. Um, but the interpretation uh, still needs work. Yeah, I'm saying that's a piece of work, but I'm it, it, as somebody who runs those businesses, I'm saying that's a piece of work that I'm very happy to pay talented game designers such as yourself, Florian, to figure out. <laughs> it's just worth it. Right, yeah, but then you need to have basically a fund that, that is the interoperability fund, which basically pays all these studios to make extra work on top of the game, which is already insane work, to actually I, guarantee I meaningful interoperability. I don't think it will work that way. I think that the game studios will just be sufficiently motivated to find good ways of pulling other games, NFTs, other games, assets into their games. But what is the motivation? Uh, to I think if you if you've got an existing, if there's an existing game, let's say Fortnite, and you're trying to pull people over to PUBG, just give a sort of Web two examples, then the best thing you can do is say, hey, you, those items that you bought in uh, in Fortnite now work in PUBG. 
you don't it's very hard to move a player from a game where they spent a lot of money and they have a lot of investment a lot of time into a new one if they're starting on the ground floor again so i think the best way of pulling an audience to a new game is saying hey those items that you value you spent all that time building up also work in our game and it's a great way to win over an audience but then it's a concerted kind of hostile marketing effort right where you kind of go like hey we definitely want all these guys from over there let's put a bunch of people in our studio away from the main game explicit the purpose of making these other items work meaningfully with our carefully crafted balance which is obviously an option but i'm saying it's, it's not going to be as open and free as i think people think it is <laughs> I, I think I agree with that uh, to some degree with Florian saying I, I, the challenge I think is going to be immense, right? So there's there's no sugarcoating that, um, and I think anyone that says that you know is is going to be they're going to be in for a surprise. But there is significant challenges there for sure, um, which is why I think kind of going back to Nico's point around where does it start from? I think it's going to start within you know a particular publisher's you know portfolio of products that they have a lot more influence and control over. Um, I think that's where it's going to be. But with that said, uh, where it comes to interoperability, I think that's going to really depend on where you're taking set assets into and what it's doing. So I don't expect, you know, at least out of the gate, um, let's say, for example, uh, I don't know, like I, I'm Master Chief and I have my plasma sword and it does X, Y, Z in terms of utility. Is that going to work in, let's say, a game that I'm building over here that's about like home design and I'm trying to put up, you know, you know, paintings, like, do I expect that level of interoperability, being able to take a weapon asset into a decor <laughs> game? I don't think that's the way it's going to work, right? Like, I think the way that our smart contracts are set up, the type of metadata that's going to be in there and that other advances that's going to come in, you might be able to take that asset with you, you know, from one ecosystem to another, but what its utility value might be, it might change depending on which ecosystem you're in. Right. So there's a lot of, I think, ways of having fun with that, being able to take things that you own with you, but how you use it, where you use it, I think that's still to be seen. But I think that's a problem that can be solved. Uh, maybe not to the one to one degree that I think a lot of people, when they do talk about interoperability, that's what they're describing. Like, I'm going to literally take this, you know, Kratos's, you know, spinning blades and I'm going to take it anywhere I want and wreak havoc. I don't think it's like literally going to be like that, mm -hmm. right? But are there ways of pulling things in and doing interesting things with those assets, maybe in a slightly differentiated way, but that the anchor point is you, the user, it's mine, I own it. And here's a way to do a thing with it. I think we're already starting to see examples of that, mm -hmm. right? And this isn't a this isn't a brand new concept. This, this, these ideas have been around for some time. We've just seen it in a more analog kind of version. And I think as we advance, I think we're going to see a little bit more. But yeah, like I said, there's a lot of work to be had uh, before we get to that place. I can think of plenty of fun things to do with a plasma sword in a home decor game. You're just not creative enough. <laughs> sure, sure. <laughs> sure. There's a new ways of, uh, yeah, yeah, that's your, that's your new power tool, right? <laughs> there you go. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Love it's got it. the grass here, give me two seconds. Yeah, I mean, it could, it could just be, yeah. I, I, you know, I don't think this is very interesting, but, you know, you could easily use one of those items in a sort of starter pack sense. Like, hey, I see that you care a lot. You've got, a, you know, an item of great value uh, in your wallet from this game that has no bearing on this game. But we'll, you know what, we're just going to give you 500 coins as a, as a way of trying to pull somebody from one to another. It's not very interesting, not very creative, but it doesn't have to be a like for like does it i mean the other thing i suppose is that you're not going to pull a halo player into a home decor game because they're they're mm -hmm. different players anyway but uh but uh i don't know it's yet to be we'll see how that plays out it's interesting yeah. to think about how it's gonna how people are gonna do that if i was a betting man so i think the way we're thinking around this right now feels like we're looking at you know the major publishers like activision and an epic and like how they would approach this uh but i think they're probably going to be the last ones to to do something like this. And I think, again, like as we've seen in other iterations of the internet going from Web 1 to Web 2, I think the, one, the ones who really innovate with these new tools are, you know, starts from like the grassroots, right? Um, and, and, and then this brings me to one of my favorite subjects, which is loot. This is mm -hmm. like almost designed uh, to, to, to become <laughs> something like this. And this is exactly why I'm, uh, I'm so excited about that, that the whole ecosystem. 
Yeah, you're spot on about that, though. I, I mean, I think a mm. lot of the times, you know, larger publishers, it's it's very much a top-down model, right? And there's a very sequential way of doing traditional gaming. I think what's really interesting about the space right now is there's also the bottoms-up approach, which is what I kind of classify loot to be. Um, which then I think, you know, not to harp on it too much, but this is where I think composability is really going to be the first step before we get to interoperability, right? Because you have a bunch of people, you know, working on a thing, whether you know them or not, and they're able to build on top of each other. And if you've set it up in a way where that's allowed, where it's almost like open source smart contract uh, you know, and you allow any creator to come in and be able to develop. And imagine if you're doing that at scale, um, look at the velocity of development that might be able to occur. And then the innovation that will come from that and different ways of thinking. And then you apply, you know, uh, decentralization against all of that. Um, yeah, I think there's going to be some really interesting things happening to get to that place that we've described a little bit earlier. And so, yeah, it'll be interesting to see. But again, a lot of hard work. <laughs> mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Let's make it happen. All right. Um, cool. I, um, I really like this discussion. This is stuff I, I really love. Um, let's move on to our next topic, which I love equally. Hey, I'm not picking sides here. Um, Rec Room raises $145 million <laughs> at a $3.5 billion valuation. Um, and actually, so nine months ago, they raised $100 million at a $1.25 billion valuation. So it's almost a 3x markup. Um, it's impressive over such a short time and without talking about cryptos. I don't understand how they like managed to do that, but <laughs> oh well. Anyway, so um, Rec Room is a v VR UGC game creation platform, uh, but it can also be played without a VR headset. Um, and it has you know several built-in multiplayer games like Paintball, Battle Royale, and co-op quest games. And so <laughs> my personal first um, experience with Rec Room was uh, so I've got a quest too, really like it, and I decided to play paintball once. And so I was playing paintball, and then the game was over, and I was like in in the main room, and suddenly my wife like asked me a question or came in, or came home or something, and I answered her in my native tongue, and so. I had, had I really expected like people to be flaming like crazy, like what the hell are you talking about? You know that we don't understand you. And there was like just this this little kid who was like, oh, what language are you speaking? It's like super nice, super wholesome. And I was like, oh, holy shit! Like, like I wasn't like that like that when I, when I had his age. So it felt really wholesome. But then again, like I went to Steam reviews, which I like to do when when talking about games, and there the uh, reviews were less um wholesome <laughs> so uh so one of the top reviews was like uh, i like this game because you can slap kids so um so yeah i guess oh uh, man yeah anyway um rec room raises a huge amount of money and interestingly they started as fully vr focused but they um actually saw significant growth only after they switched to multi-platform so now you can play on consoles and on mobile as well um yeah your, your thoughts on this raise and um like I'm also interested to to understand what do you think will be key to Rec Room success moving forward. Florian, what do you what do you think? Well, I mean, I the way I see most of these, including Roblox, is like you know UCG virtual worlds. I think they stand and fall with two things: the scale and the content of your uh, proxy developers. Right. Um, so if if you happen to have people on there uh, that make good stuff, then people will come. But it'll be a success, and whether it's VR or not, I think is rather relevant. Personally, I mean, if you do, if you do VR only, I think it's going to hold you back. But um, I think the raise is entirely justified, assuming they can credibly kickstart with scale and quality subcontent, right? Which I think doesn't doesn't necessarily need to be created by actual users. It could be, you know, <laughs> um, you could have like dev teams that pretend to do that just to kind of keep that kind of flow going. And then when you look at Ro Roblox, mm -hmm. um, a lot a lot of the content is actually created by relatively few people. So a lot of people create a lot of content. The things that really make it tick um, was actually was created by by not that many people, because a lot of many people have that that amount of skill and dedication, all the kind of things to make that kind of content. And if you can front load that, and if they've credibly showcased that, I think it's probably probably worthwhile. I mean, there's definitely a lot more room for billions to be made aside from from low Roblox and other virtual universes. I mean, uh, Roblox is a $60 billion mm -hmm. market cap. What did you say they just got valued at, Nico? Three? Uh, 3.5. Yeah, so I mean, that, that you could see how, I guarantee you Metaverse shows up in their presentation when when they're getting investors. So, you know, maybe not blockchain, but definitely Metaverse. 100%, yeah. That's, 
I think it's quite e easy to imagine that it stands a chance of becoming a Roblox competitor. Um, and and also when I am. Honestly, I haven't played it. I was watching YouTube videos, but I can see, I can join the dots to a metaverse as well. So I think there's two things there that people get excited about. I'm interested in what sort of footfall they have at the moment. Do you know, does anyone know anything of their numbers? Amount of people playing? I remember seeing, but I haven't written this down, so I'm not 100% sure, that they had a 37 million unique subscribe or like people that played the game. But that doesn't say anything about like monthly or daily active users, so I can't be sure there. So last time I saw, I think, uh, you know, like an article that talked about, you know, stats, it was something like, I think they peaked at a million MAU. Um, and then, you know, you if you look at like Steam Spy or something, not that I'm saying that they're the best source of information, just but mm. just another data point to look at, you know, they have it much lower where it's like, you know, I don't know, you know, several hundred thousand, right? Which is nothing to sneeze. I mean, it, it's, it's pretty significant numbers. I, I'm not saying that these are tiny by any means and they're growing, you know, pretty significantly, right? Um, and I'm pretty sure they've grown quite a bit during the pandemic times as well. So who knows what those numbers are, but I'm pretty sure with this type of valuation, you know, whoever's looking at this and doing the due diligence because of the size of this project and the initial acquisition, um, I guarantee you there's a bunch of people doing due diligence on this and they must be seeing some pretty impressive numbers, right? But with that said, when you compare it to like a Roblox, I mean, what's what's their, uh, what's their DAU like, right? I, I, I bet you it's in the high, high, you know, millions, like 40 million, 50 million, right? So when you compare it from like that perspective, I think Rec Room has a long way to go, right? To catch up and be a massive competitor against Roblox. But to be fair, you know, Roblox mm. has had and been in the space for some time. So that's one, I think, thing you have to think about. Mm. The other side is when I take a look at something like a Rec Room or even a Roblox or a Minecraft, and then you kind of compare them to what's happening within the blockchain space. You have Decentraland, you have Sandbox, you have other projects now that are also, um, I don't want to call them metaverses, I guess. I, I want to call them more like virtual worlds that have UGC and the ability to do a bunch of things in it, right? They all share that common DNA. And so then the question becomes, where does it shake out, right? Because I can't really imagine as an end user I am spending a significant portion of my time in, let's say, Roblox and in Decentraland and in Rec Room, right? Like maybe you you're able to cross pollinate a little bit because there's commonality there. But I, you know, they all these different studios must be trying to figure out how do we attract as much people as possible. And with the Rec Room one, what I think is really interesting is with this amount of funding. Um, I, I forgot if it was Nico or Florian. I, I maybe Florian. Maybe it was you that you said. You're the one that said it, but yeah, creating that like really interesting content to, you know, front load and drive and like showcase what you can do with the platform, I think is really important. Although if you take a look at, you know, Roblox's statement, um, I think they're like their VP of product or, you know, or maybe it was their chief product officer. They've taken a very definitive stance, right? Roblox is like, we are not content creators. We are not going into that side of the business. We are going to be a pure platform, you know, service-oriented, you know, tool developer so that you, the content creator, can come in here and build content for us, right? So I always thought that was a very interesting stance that they took. Uh, I'm not saying it's a wrong or a right stance. It's just an interesting one because if you're a burgeoning platform where you're dependent on others to do a thing, who has expertise of that platform outside of the people that are building it? Right. I would think that if I'm working at Roblox, I know how to build on Roblox better than probably anyone. So it's just interesting that they're not doing that. And so I do see with Rec Room where something like that mm -hmm. will occur, which is actually in parallel to um, you know, the, the 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 major three when it comes to their platforms, right? Sony, Microsoft, Nintendo. If you look at a lot of the products that are on those platforms which ones are typically, you know, considered or at least in conversation around being the best. It's usually the first party titles, right? Because they, they pour in a lot of resources, time, energy, effort. Oh, and by the way, they probably know more about the platform than, you know, even some of the other AAA devs, right? So I think if Rec Room, you know, kind of balances that, like between developing first party content, in addition to all the things that Roblox has done, the tooling, the funding, you know, the onboarding, 
um, they could maybe in in you know in a, in a few years time be a pretty solid destination for people that want to you know experience and build and create on their platform. I mean, they certainly got the market capitalization for it now, and so I think it's all about execution and having a slightly different point of view compared to all the other guys that I just mentioned. Right? I agree because a lot of the games are also kind of done and dusted. Like it's not like a lot of new stuff happens on there. Like the the big mm-hmm. hits on these CG platforms tend to be samey so if you can execute on a concept that's already proven to work really well elsewhere you probably might have a really strong advantage how important do you think is the vr play there because they're ahead of are they i assume they're ahead of roblox in terms of vr and if you believe that vr is an important part of the metaverse or or just where we're going more generally then that is an edge that they have because they started they're sort of vr native you would say and and yeah maybe in order to uh, to meet some targets, they went onto some other platforms. I'm curious as to what you, how important you think that VR aspect is. I, I think that's a great question. Um, I mean, personally, I'm I'm a fan of what's happening in the VR space. Uh, I think there's still a long ways to go. I, I I know Nico, you play a bunch of VR games. Uh, I I've experienced a bunch of VR games. Like I think my favorite one so far was like uh, Half Life Alex. Uh, I saw certain capabilities on that product and I was like, wow. I was like, this is just, I didn't expect it, right? So it blew me away. But with that said, um, I can't play Mm. for a long period of time using my VR headset, right? I mean, I'm like, I was like the fanboy Mm -hmm. for VR for Half-Life, right? I I bought like all this stuff to make my room like perfectly set up so I can experience that game in the best Mm -hmm. way possible. My wife thought I was crazy. And I have videos of this and I'll show you guys later. But yeah, you know, but I, I just can't play for it for a long time. So there's, you know, I mean, there's a lot of conversations around form factor, you know, you know, you know, durability and, you know, battery life and this, that and the other. Um, so I think right now it's, I think it's a nice like a bullet point that they can have as part of their studio saying, yeah, we are VR native. We started there, but now we're going cross platform. You don't need to have that. Because you can just play it if you know without it. Um, I think that actually helps with their narrative. But you know, behind the scenes, how much time effort are they really, um, I guess, allocating towards VR versus other stuff? I don't know. Um, I think into the future it will be an important consideration, um, just because as with most things, the hardware is only going to get better and better form factor and all these other things. So I think it's great that they've already been there, done that, and they could probably improve at a velocity others can't, or at least not matching what they've been able to do. Um, but right now, I don't think it's a, I don't think mm-hmm. it's a game changer, at least not yet. Is it? Um, so if I'm looking at what I see happening in general in UGC companies, so companies that depend on user generated content, um, you know, to drive it to get in like other users, etc. What I see is the following, and feel free to tell me that it's completely incorrect. Like basically, the playbook is: the, either you take the Roblox road and you build and you focus on like great tooling, uh, but Roblox has been building for a long while. And so, what I think is like if you want to supercharge, like um, success or like user like good user generated content on your platform, you're gonna have to invest in great games yourself as well. So you like you do like a Fortnite, you have this hugely successful game that then drives the users those and and so there's like this critical mass that you need in such a platform before you can actually rely on the users themselves generating good enough content, given the tools, obviously, that you build for the platform to sustain itself and grow further. Um, does that make sense? Yeah, I think it does. Uh, I'm I'm of a same similar mindset to you as well, Nico. Um, I also think that how you build on that platform is pretty critical, right? So I know there's a lot of studios out there that are thinking about like the no code, low code, you know, type of ways of building. Mm-hmm. Um, I think this also goes into conversations around, you know, composability where if I'm a, if I'm a, I mean, I'm sure you've all, you guys have all been in the situation like this where you have a great idea, uh, you want to go get it built, but then you realize, Hey, I'm not an engineer or I'm not an artist or whatever, whatever your skill set might be lacking in and it becomes challenging. So how much of that can they potentially, um, you know, remove friction from? I think it's also a pretty critical component, which I know Roblox is trying to figure out with their, you know, uh, with their, um, uh, you know, Roblox editor. But with all these other virtual world platforms that are relying on UGC, 
uh, I think I think it's critical to have it on like those three pillars, right? Being able to have amazing accessible tools with little to no coding knowledge, um, having great examples from first party mm -hmm. that can then demonstrate the viability of that particular platform and the amazing things that you can potentially do on it. I think that's also a pretty important pillar. And then, yeah, and then, and then the rest of it, I think, is about scalability, finding the right audiences, attracting the right devs, you know, all that good mm -hmm. stuff. Yeah. All right, cool. Let's see uh, where Rec Room ends up. I um, I think if you're a believer of a VR-based um, like metaverse, I think uh, Rec Room, I think this is a, a bet on that, basically. Um, yeah, cool. All right, final topic. Um, and th this is one for CA where he can give some context and we can ask some questions. So um, Amazon Prime partnered with Blanco's Block Party for NFTs. And so, CA, maybe you can just tell a bit about Blanco's plug party and then exactly what the deal was and, and, and yeah, how it went. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, Blanco's block party is a, you know, NFT enabled, you know, blockchain game, um, you know, built on, you know, our mythical platform. Uh, I think the easiest way to think about the game, uh, because it's like several different genres, like smashed into one, but it's, um, it's a multiplayer party game. Uh, you know, similar to like a Fall Guys, you know, with UGC, you know, enabled content uh, so that you can build, you know, certain levels, experiences, mini games and things of that nature, right? Uh, it's it's called Blancos because that's the characters that you run around with. And, you know, we've done a lot of different collaborations, um, you know, with you know, artists like, you know, Deadmau5, uh, you know, we've done it with like luxury fashion brands like Burberry, um, and like, you know, Marathon Clothing Company. Um, and, we're, and we just did... Uh, you know, did another one with another artist called like Michael Lau and things like that, right? And so with the Amazon, um, uh, with the Prime Gaming, you know, we were trying to, you know, find ways to do additional collaborations, uh, you know, with another strategic partner that, you know, wanted to, you know, partner with us, you know, you know, explore the crypto space. And, you know, the, the, the integration went pretty well. Um, and so just to talk about that campaign a little bit, you know, ultimately, um, it was actually pretty straightforward, right? So, you need to go and get a Prime account, uh, which is what the, what the primary driver of this campaign was. How do we get people to sign up for Prime accounts? And then if you're able to do that, and then you come to you know the Blancos, you're able to link your Blancos and your Prime account. And by doing that, you're able to claim uh, this bundle that you know we give to you for free. And then you know by claiming this bundle and now having that connection. Uh, you know, we have a roadmap of various things that you're able to get. And so from our perspective, it's an engagement play uh, so that we can get users to come check out our product. And for, you know, for, you know, Amazon, you know, it's, a, it's about, you know, their gaming prime account, you know, getting that set up. Uh, but, you know, we obviously want our players to, you know, just enjoy the experiences and then we're able to provide them a variety of different things that are really interesting, you know, give them assets that they can now then, you know, play with, speculate on, what have you. And, you know, at a high level, I can't go into like the specific, specific details. Um, but overall, what I can talk about is that, you know, our DAU went up by, I think, like 130%. Um, you know, when we went live, um, you know, installs have, yeah. I think it was either like four or five X um, the minute that we went live. I mean, obviously there was some, you know, pre-campaign marketing that we did in collaboration. Yeah. But the fact that when we went live, like all our metrics just went, you know, through the roof. And so we're now doing like post-launch analysis to figure out, you know, are these pure speculators that are coming in to grab a thing and then they're flipping? Um, and, you know, to be completely honest, of course you're going to get people like that, right? But what's been yeah. interesting is yeah. that a lot of the people that have come in, they're actually sticking around. They're actually playing because we've been, you know, part of it is a marketing because we've been able to explain, yeah, we have other things that you can do in the product. Don't just come for the one thing and, you know, be one and done. You can actually do a lot of different things, which has really helped with the stickiness. Um, and additionally, it's actually helped uh, grow in other parts uh, of the world, you know, where we're operating our product in, particularly like in uh, Latin America, right? So we've, you know, seen, you know, tremendous growth, uh, in, you know, in particular regions there, uh, because again, like it's a, it's a way to get users in at little to no cost. Um, and by doing so, like it helps to really, you know, increase our digital footprint. Right. And I think at the end of the day, you know, for the again, this is like very small subset of data, but I think within like the first two days or something, we had something like, I don't know, 20,700, something, something like, uh, you know, uh, Blanco's characters. We call him, you know, King Carrot. Uh, he's like the big gorilla looking guy, um, you know, minted. Right. Because that's what people were able mm -hmm. to, you know, come in and do and engage with and to own. 
And so, yeah, overall, it's been a really interesting experiment for us and, you know, collaboration with a really critical partner. Um, and, you know, we're, you know, gearing up to do additional experiments and, you know, additional collaborations that are going to be a little bit more ambitious coming into the new year. But, you know, we're, we're just learning as we go. Um, and I'm just happy to report that it's been, it's been, it's been well received. Do you think uh, the, who is that audience that showed up? Is it, I mean, hard to tell, I'm sure, but is it crypto people or, the, or is it new people that have heard about NFTs and blockchain and have a Prime account? So, hey, seems like a good time to go and check it out. Something's available for free. Any idea who showed up? Yeah, so, you know, a lot of the people that showed up are brand new, never, you know, they they were not part of the Blanco's ecosystem. So they're like fresh installs, new installs, right? Um, majority of them are actually coming for the game and being able to own and have an NFT asset, right? Because a lot of these guys are, you know, first-time creators, uh, you know, creators in the sense of, you know, creating a brand new account on a blockchain game. And, you know, for all intents and purposes, we could be their first NFT that they're actually owning, right? So there's a lot of that, which is kind of indicative from some of the different geos that we've seen people come in from. So I think in that sense, it's really interesting. But yes, for sure, there are users that are coming in and purely speculating. And we can see that because they come in, they make the accounts, they link, you know, they, they do the necessary steps, you know, in order to get the NFTs. And then lo and behold, you know, like, what is there, like 30 minutes later, boom, you see it on the marketplace, right? So I, I think what's interesting is that you're always going to get people that are looking to speculate and turn around and, you know, make a quick profit. And, and that's okay. Um, but, but, you know, we're, you know, our point of view is trying to create, you know, fun, engaging experiences um, that you can do both of those things on. But yeah, like we've seen both. And it's, it's always fascinating to like break them out and segment them and, you know, learn more about them. Um, and we're we're still doing that. Like we don't have you know empirical you know I guess uh, data on everything, but you know we're we're learning as we go. It's funny that we were talking. Was it last week, the week before, about Ubisoft and how that didn't go well for them because they tried to persuade a disinterested audience to start using NFTs. And here, there's a different approach, which is uh, targeting a different set of people through. Amazon Prime and then offering them a game experience that they think they might like. So just a, a more successful way of building an audience, it feels like. Yeah, we like to think so. <laughs> it's really fascinating because I was really wondering like what the key, like what exactly is the difference here? Because I, uh, was there any kind of negative feedback towards uh, Prime, like uh, Amazon Prime, uh, Sia, do you know? Um, I, I haven't been able to get that data, you know, directly from our, from our partners. I mean, I, I'm only looking at, you know, data that we're collecting, you know, on our side and, you know, the, the user mm -hmm. feedback that we have from our community manager and the different channels that we operate in. Um, we haven't joined the two together. Uh, so maybe that's a follow-up that I'll send to you later on like, yeah, what's been happening on their end. But, um, by and large, at least from the the conversations I've had, you know, with our you know various team members, it's been it's been positive, uh, and you know, I mean, we obviously had certain thresholds and certain um, you know expectations of launching a project like this, but uh, right now it's far exceeding them, uh, which has you know a bunch of the team on the Blanco side really excited, and so now it's really about digging in, figuring out you know crafting better experiences, and then seeing if uh, the engagement level holds as we unlock you know new new things. Um, you know, in the coming days and weeks, right? Because, uh, like, yeah, if you guys go to the mm -hmm. to the Blanco's page, um, there is a roadmap that you know highlights the first one that we just did, but all the other subsequent things that are coming. And so now we're trying to see, like, yeah, what's that level of engagement? What's the completion rate? You know, of all the different things that we've outlined, and you know, depending on what that answer is, you know, we'll then determine, yeah, this is actually great. Let's do some additional things that might be more interesting, and so on and so forth. Man, must be so fun to run these experiments. I feel like. If you would do something similar with, let's say, the Board Ape Yop Club, I'm just curious to know, like the the amount of flipping that would happen, like the percentage of people that end up being flippers, depending on the community where they come from. Um, just fascinating to 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 just get get a peek into what kind of people you have in each community. Yeah, I mean, not to go on too much of a tangent, but like because you brought it up, I mean, you know, they did do something recently, right? I think it was um, Adidas, mm -hmm. you know. Punks and um, yeah, Bored Ape, like they all did a release of their second comic or whatnot. And so like, I haven't fully looked into it, but I bet you there was a lot of 
flippers mm-hmm. who went and minted that thing. And I bet you there's a ton of those like somewhere on OpenSea or whatever marketplace that they ended up using. So yeah, yeah it, you're absolutely right. Like it's, it's always fascinating to see based on which project, uh, you know, what type of, you know, users that you're attracting and whether they're in it really because they're holding and they believe and they really want a cool, you know, NFT to own or if it's purely based on speculation because the market is frothy towards a particular IP like Bored Apes, right? Mm-hmm. So yeah, really fascinating stuff. Cool. All right. Um, I see we're reaching the hour mark. Let's um, round it up with our bonus segment. So the question is, what topic will dominate the gaming industry in the next year? Um, and Florian, I'll, uh, I'll, I'll let you go first. Well, this is funny because I think my choice we've touched on a lot um, during this conversation. I think the big conversation will be uh, walled garden uh, or how much of it. Because I, I think next year is going to be the time where you know, the decentralized dream clashes with company control. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think we'll probably end up somewhere in the middle, but I think uh, a lot of people's dreams will be wrecked next year, I think, because to most <laughs> companies and most people, the walled garden is preferable. Um, partially for creative reasons, partially for business reasons. That's just my opinion. <laughs> I, know, I know you guys Maybe think differently. But that's I don't like it. No. <laughs> <laughs> Florian, it's not. It's not very Christmassy. Yeah. If I'm, if I'm honest. <laughs> he's he's feeling extra German today, uh, being at home with his family. So uh, we'll, we'll forgive you, Florian. And I mean, honestly, like it wouldn't surprise me if if we see something like this, and I, I, like. I think we, we can all, uh, all of us here are rational enough to realize that our dreams are probably not going to, you know, fulfill themselves in the next year, right? There's a very big chance that uh, we'll, we'll get uh, disappointed in the short term, but um, uh, let's see what the, what the, the five-year horizon is. You mean we're just going to be here just a year older? That's it. Surely something seismic will happen between now and then. Yeah, but it could be bad for the short term, you know? It could be like bad news, right? Something tells me that he will cause the seismic event. Damn it! Exactly. Exactly. Uh, you're probably cooking something something major that you don't tell us about. That man. I'm flattered that you think that I can cause seismic <laughs> events. So uh, <laughs> that's good. Uh, for me, I think um, it's. I, I guess the has the Apple Epic thing completely played out yet, or is there like some kind of coda to expect? You know, I'm less involved with that part of the industry now, but I mean, uh, IDFA felt like the big thing in 2020 and then, uh, or yeah, I guess it was just coming to an end there. And I I, I sort of wonder what will happen. And because it relates to more things than just Apple, you know, can can they, there's a big point about metaverse versus hyperverse, metaverse being the version of our future, which is still controlled by Apple, Google, Sony, Microsoft, uh, Nintendo, and something where those barriers have been knocked down and either the tax is lower or there's just a different way of doing things. And I think that, I don't think that, I don't think they can last the way they are for another year. Is that what I'm saying? You know, not indefinitely. Things have got to change, and already it's creaking. And so I think there's going to be some changes. I'll be really interested to know which way it falls, whether or not what what is Apple and Google's approach. What does because I think they're fighting the tide in these new payment models, be it blockchain or be it something else. And I don't really know how that's going to pan out, but it won't be the same as it is today by the end of next year. So that's a bit of a non-committal. That, that's like an area of things that I see happening over the next year. Okay, cool. Thanks. I'll see you. Yeah, I, um, so yeah, great points by both David and Florian. Um, Florian, I don't think you're the grump grump of the of the Christmas season. I, 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 I also have in the back of my mind those types of thoughts, but uh, I'm a dreamer at the end of the day. And, you know, I'm trying to push back my practicality side, but I, I, your, your point is very well taken. Um, but I think related to that, and as well as what David's saying, um, I, in my opinion, I think one of the main topics for next year, uh, particularly in blockchain, is going to be about regulation. I think it's going to be about legalities, regulation. What does that actually mean when it comes to, you know, blockchains, uh, you know, public exchanges, you know, how do you leverage, you know, you know, let's say fungible tokens and where they can be traded. Uh, I think a lot of that is going to happen next year and it's going to have, you know, pretty far reaching implications into blockchain gaming devs. 
Because if you look at the ecosystem now and what's being leveraged and what people consider to be best practice, um, I don't know. I think by next year, I think a lot of that is going to change. And if you know you're, let's say, you know, a developer who went all in and you're pot committed to a particular direction, and this legislation or sets of le- you know legislation come down, particularly here in North America, um, I think it's going to be challenging. So I think the the main topic that's going to dominate for a while is going to be around those particular topics. Um, and yeah, I'm 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 very curious to see what what, what shakes out. That's not very Christmassy Man. either, CA. No, David, what's happening? Just you, me, I guess. Sorry, um, guys. Yeah. <laughs> no, I think it's um, honestly like I think it's a good thing. I was on a, I was on a panel um, a few weeks ago, and there was a politician there, a Belgian politician, and he was asking like, "Well, what can what can we do to facilitate Web three and NFTs, or what should we do, or how can we help you with a framework?" And I told him like, "I think this stuff is happening so fast. Like, you better get ready to." figure out how you're going to start taxing people for the money that they earn by playing games. Um, like, I don't know how the Philippines uh, exactly looks at this, um, but I know that, you know, the money earned in Axie is like quite a significant percentage of their GDP. And so, and, and the fact that you can already pay for stuff with SLP, so that's a token that you earn by playing Axie, like countries will, like governments are not very fast in these things. And I think... Um, they yeah they'll uh, they'll better do it and I hope they do because if they if they don't catch up and fast enough they're just gonna like find a way to stop everything right and that's uh, probably the worst thing that can happen. I I think that um, sorry I think that that last point is super salient right because the the governments that are out there that are really paying attention and understand like the impact the positive impact that some of this is mm-hmm. having. And they're working with the developers and the creator communities and, you know, the governments together to find an equitable solution. They're the, they're the going to, they're going to be the ones that are going to win. Right. So I, uh, the, the, the prediction I'm making, I don't think it's necessarily a, a negative one. I think it's just coming. And, you know, I think the more effort the, con- the concerted effort that we make together, I think is going to have a very positive impact, which can, you know, open doors for a lot of different things. Right. So, yeah, I, I, I totally agree with that point, Nico. I think it's very important. Mm. What I don't understand yet, and I'm a bit cause just partly because it's not my area of expertise, is that what happens when, OK, you, you might abide by the laws of the country that you're operating your business on as a, in as a game maker. But what about if there's all sorts of different rules across the world for your players, mm. then that, I just don't know how to navigate that. That feels like, like already in mobile free-to-play, is it Belgium that you can't put, uh, have loot boxes in for, for Gachi, right? Yep. So, so now what yep. if, what if all the countries in the world have slightly different rules about what you can and can't do in these games? I just don't know how you build a game around that. So David, you you take a boat, oh. you go into international borders, and you just do what the hell you want, and so they can't come after you. And because it's on the blockchain, no one can stop them from playing. So, oh, you know, I'm a land lover. I don't don't like that idea. <laughs> just get an oil rig. <laughs> yeah, okay, exactly. Like a pirate radio station. Yeah, and and you can use the energy to mine Bitcoin. Easy, boom. <laughs> there you go. Nico yeah. just came up with a new business idea. That's it. That's actually like. Uh, I'll see you exactly. on the oil rig, Nico. <laughs> you and me. It's going to be fun. All right. With that, uh, listeners, thank you so much for listening. Um, yeah. And also, yeah, Florian, CA, and David, I, I really enjoyed this. Good, good, good stuff. I wish everyone an amazing uh, Christmas. And um, maybe we'll speak again in the next week. Um, then we can have some other New Year discussion. I guess it's going to be without the three boys here because they're going to be celebrating and uh, resting well-deservedly. So with that, the Metacost is out and we look forward to uh, speaking to you in the next episode. Cheers. Cheers.